0: Gavin Scovell is here, or rather, he's calling in from Abu Dhabi. Uh, Those of you who want to watch the T Twenty Cricket World Cup—is that what it's called? Yeah, the men's T Twenty.
1: I did the final in twenty sixteen, the last T Twenty World Cup. Carlos Brathwaite, remember the name? That was the game. That was Calcutta, twenty sixteen, and I I did that match. I remember it. I remember it well. I I just thought, no chance. They're never going to get twenty four and over, whatever it was. There's now two, and there's another one next october in australia as well so they're they're stacking up now
0: Ooh. but we but they get excellent
1: amazing viewers like i said in, in um, the subcontinent i would say close to 85 percent of the, the cricketing audience is from the
0: subcontinent and they're in the hundreds of millions watching yep. over there and also gambling which we won't go into but yeah i used to play 2020 um when it was called 2020 not t20 um and that was It was brilliant for kids. 120 balls, get as many runs as possible. You still have to be careful and protect your wicket. And yet, what was it? I think it was Brian Scovell, the great Brian Scovell, who is your father, Gavin, said, well, I don't have a problem with it because it will get people into the sport, which will get them into the long ball game. But there has to be a compromise between red ball and white ball. For you, what's more exciting, a four-day match or a four-hour match? You cannot get away from idiosyncrasies of test cricket. You can't as a cricket fan, test cricket's what it's all about. That's why it's called a test. You know, those
1: sessions taking the new, when are they going to take the new ball? All that stuff is, if you're a cricket fan, that's the number one thing, but T20. Yes. It's over quickly. It's razzmatazz. It's fast. It's furious. Uh, I, I like working on both. To be honest, I do more one day stuff nowadays than test match stuff. Um, But I do enjoy test cricket, definitely, Mm. for the purest. I've only ever played one T20, and that was my international debut. I've got one international cap. Not many people know this, but I'll show it off now. I've got one for
0: Peru. I played for Peru once, about five years. In Lima,
1: my wife is Lemanian, and we go there quite a lot. And uh, our daughter, now Gabby. And I was over there to do an interview for the ICC magazine show. Met the guy that ran it, an Aussie guy wrote me in for the match the following day and uh, ended up opening the bowling for Peru and got got a few wickets and a couple Brilliant. of runs and uh, my initiation was a what well, was pre covid of course but they gave me they presented me with a team box that was shared around and I had to drink a beer out of it pretty
0: disgusting oh banter oh, <laughs> hazy I've
1: just lost my viewers I've just lost your viewers sorry
0: man. uh that's all right um, <laughs> and and that team box will take pride of place in the Football Library. You get your laminated Football Library card with Sir Trevor Brooking on it. Uh, The book was written very quickly. Uh, I haven't read it, but I do know it exists um, in collaboration with Brian Scovell. Do you have copies of all of your dad's books?
1: I do, yes. He's just written his 28th one, actually, about, uh, I'm sure he told you, Sir Leary Constantine, the first Mm -hmm. black baron of the House of Lords. And the man, actually, who did more for... Black people in Britain than anybody else, they reckon, in the last century, what he did. And dad has spent years getting a statue of him erected. And it's been a sort of a personal passion of his uh, to do, to release this book as well. And we know the family of Saliri in Trinidad, Maurice, and Saliri's daughter, Gloria. She's 94 now. Um, so, yeah, we cause going there a lot as kids because my dad used to go there and he used to be good friends with Tony Cozier. And, um, as, astonishingly, Tony's son, Craig, he's a good friend of mine and we, we work together. He's a, one of the top producers around. So we, we still work together a lot, which is great.
0: I think it's, when I listened to the BBC Great Lives on Leary Constantine, my jaw was on the floor, not just because he seemed to have single-handedly turned civil rights abuse in the UK. It was a Dunblane moment, but it was before and after Constantine. And I talk about it with Brian, um, and Trevor MacDonald is on the committee. Are you on the committee for the statue as well?
1: Yes, I am. So they've got, they've got Julian Knight on it from the government. They've got, they've got Sir Trevor MacDonald, Michael Holding, Ian Bishop, and some some big heavyweights on it. Um, because, you know, only 2% of the blue plaques in London are for black people. 2% is pathetic. And only 4% of statues in, in Westminster Of of black statues. I mean, it's a disgrace. So something has to be done. So we put this committee together to um, to to address this um, and take it further, and also um, actually try and get a film made, which we're in the process of getting some interest. And we've gone to some big names um, uh, about uh, making this movie on Saliri's life and times. Uh, So we've got a couple of production companies interested. Um, but at the moment, uh, yeah, we look like that's a project for next year, definitely, to get that film up and running.
0: I think that it's so crucial to tell young people that this guy who went to the House of Lords uh, and broke through, it was kind of like what Little Richard did or Nat King Cole. There was... uh, It's his talent and his humanity more than the colour of his skin, and what Michael Holding has done very recently, I don't know if you've had time to read his book came out over summer i thought you might um necessary but also should have been written 20 years ago but the 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 time is right right. and now michael's got nothing to do he's retired
1: oh he'll have plenty to do don't worry
0: (laughs) um
1: he loves his horse mikey
0: oh yes he yes he does like a bet doesn't he i think i think your dad told me that were you in the stadium when he gave that reaction was it over summer last summer
1: that was, that was for Sky, I wasn't there, but um, yeah, of course, I, heard, I, I was watching it live and it brought tears to my eye and, um, you know, just astonishing, the frankness um, of, of the man and, you know, I interviewed Ian Bishop recently and Ian Bishop was like, I said, who are your heroes, Bish? And he said, Michael Holding, for that reason, for his frankness and for the fact that he, as a young player, he really helped Bish um, develop um, and he's, he's been a real hero for him.
0: I've got a, sorry to pivot away from that, but I've got a question here that could take us to the end of the show, but will cricket become more like football with the IPL, T20 and the 100 in terms of popularity and the kind of audiences? I mean, not, not the game itself.
1: I don't think football, you can do much with football because of the, the format and the duration of it. You can't change the duration of, of a football match. Um, so, I Platinum wanted to... Was- well, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could, but, you know, I don't, I can't see that happening because football works, you know, and T20 worked before the 100. So I was curious to why they did that. Um, I think one of the reasons the ECB did it was attendances was were waning and they wanted to do something different. They didn't need to because I've just finished doing the Caribbean Premier League, which was a massive success. And it all went down to the last ball finish, 34 matches. And so T20 does work. And it, it's, you ask the average cricket fan, they don't want it shortened. I mean, I watched a bit of the 100. Yeah, you know, it was interesting. But all the statistics that cricket relies on were, were obsolete because it's, instead of 20, it was 16.2. overs. So yeah, I don't know, really. I, I'm not sure if I, I really bought into it completely. But, yeah, in terms of football, I, I, I don't I really see the need to change football. You know, one of the fastest-growing sports in the world is women's football, mm-hmm. especially in, in the States. And, you know, it's successful. It, it's,
0: you know, it's 90 minutes. If that's all it is. It's quick. So there's no need to change it.
1: Cricket had to change for the, young popul- the younger population. It's too long. A game of 50 over cricket is too long.
0: But the argument um, that... So- sorry, the argument that I think it was Agnelli raised is that 90 minutes, young people are not like the legacy fans. Cricket definitely has legacy fans. Uh, but to term football fans legacy fans when they're the ones that can more easily afford going to a game and then complaining that young people only watch highlights and skills and techers, uh, pot and kettle. But I, I don't know. Because even I, I've stopped watching football more out of protest. Although I watched the Watford game the other week and I'm, I'm sure I'll watch... If Watford plays oh, West Ham... Um, no. But I, I I don't I I like Watford as a club, but the team I don't know who to support. I've written this piece. I don't know if and I think the great thing for West Ham, and I, I'm swallowing a lot here, but yeah, West Ham, great great fan base. Not they're playing in a football a gridiron football stadium, and yet you've got some really good talent. This team that Moyes has put together. Probably the best team in 20 years.
1: Look, if you told me that we were going to finish fourth last year, we'll still be in Europe now, I would have eaten my hat. Unbelievable turnaround by Moyes, who, who should take a lot of the credit of for this, course. because he's been He was fired once. You know, he, he's done amazing things. And yes, we, you know, when we moved from the bowling ground, I was very disappointed because that had such a place in a West Ham's heart. But we had to, you know, it was a sign of the times. We were a big club. We had to move and, you know, you don't get the same atmosphere in the London Stadium. But can you imagine saying to, you know, say if you lived in London and you wanted to get all the way to Stratford to watch a match, you're a West Ham fan, and it's a 45-minute football match. It's a long way to go for 45 minutes, yes. you know. I don't think, think shortening the game it is, it is, an, is the answer at all when you are talking about
0: football. I also read a piece by Katie Wyatt that is in a new book called Football She Wrote. And she said that football must change the culture that has grown up. Uh, such that uh, certain grounds people use ethnic and and horrible slurs. Uh, yes. I had a coin thrown in my direction because I was I was at West Ham Watford. Watford were hopeless, but I remember picking up this coin and saying someone's thrown a coin at me. And the steward said, No, 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 you can't stand in the aisle. I said, But the coin. And I don't think I can ever go to Upton uh, to, to you know the Bobby Moore Stadium as I call it as a, a punter unless I'm in with the West Ham fans, but it's a, it's a society problem. All oh, the, 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 the crowd problem. Cricket fans, of course, with their beer snakes, it's all a bit of a laugh. It,
1: it, it is a societal problem, and I'm sorry that happened to you. Yeah. Um, but I wouldn't take my, my daughter, she's eight now, I wouldn't take her to a football match, not yet, anyway. I just, it, and it's a shame, that is. I mean, I, actually, I took it, I, no, I didn't, I took my cousin um, to Watford, so not too Watford. You got me Watford on the brain that <laughs> to Fulham. Fulham's my my local club. I suppose I live around the corner from there. So I took him to uh, to a, my um, a, nephew, a Peruvian nephew who'd never seen a big football fan, but he'd never seen a, a Premiership match. This was like when they were in the Premiership, and um, he uh, he absolutely loved it. And that was you know even there I was a bit worried some of the language, but he he was a bit old. He was fifteen, but. You know, it does worry me. Whereas a cricket match, I'd bring my family to anyway, any day because you wouldn't get that. And a rugby match, I reckon.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I went to Lords, like, living very close to Lords um, and also living close to Merchant Taylors where Middlesex plays some of their first-class matches. That's right. That's right. Um, I remember going to Lords with Uncle Darryl, um for a, an ODI against India. I must have been, I don't know, 14, 13, 14 and it was, the atmosphere was great because the Indian fans were failing the Tebbit test quite substantially. Um, being, the Tebbit test being you must support the cricket team or the football team in the country that you are in, wherever you've come from. I, I suppose there are foreign fans, there are Englishmen who become New Zealand fans, especially if they marry a New Zealander. If England played Peru, whom would you support? I'd have to be
1: quite careful. Mm. Well, i don't think that's going to happen for a while because i played for them that shows you how bad they are they are were, they not they're so... not in the
0: t20 no
1: they, they are in the icc america's pool right. so they play argentina brazil and a, and a friend of mine actually i used to play old ken days with he runs the cricketer matt federson he runs the brazilian ladies team actually a cricket team that is so uh, he's he lives out there um but yeah you look you know Peruvian football fans, now that's something different, you saw the World Cup, they are mental, those guys, they're absolutely nuts, those people, but uh, really passionate fans, um, and really, really lovely, passionate people, and, and an amazing country, have you been there before?
0: No, never.
1: Oh, well, the culture, the food, I mean, the, the best food I've ever eaten, because they've had, the last few prime ministers have been Japanese, so the food has a Nikkei kind of influence, oh. You have, you have obviously, the meat, because you're near Brazil, you have the meat, you're near the sea, so you have the seafood, but then you have the Nikkei on top of that. And three, the, the Sunday Times just published the top 50 restaurants in the world, and three of the top 10 are in Peru, wow. Lima. So there's a, there's a stat
0: for you. Wow, so food tourism uh, should become... Uh, I'm sure in your VTs there will be particular attention paid to, well, there's a couple, uh, the 29th of October, Afghanistan versus Pakistan. God, what a terrible 20 years both of those countries have had. Do you know Afghans and Pakistanis through your work? Absolutely.
1: Yes, absolutely. I know quite a few of the players. Um, you know, I really feel for what's happening in Afghanistan at the moment and especially the lack of women's cricket. And I saw a, a very nice piece on the news here this morning. Uh, it wasn't Quest, but it was about um, the, uh, the soccer team that, that are allowed to come over and tour Britain from Afghanistan, the female soccer team. And, and I'm so pleased that we gave them visas and let them in. To our country, because you can't stop people—you know—for an ideology, you can't stop women from playing any sport. In my book, I mean that's that's disgraceful, but it's good. It's good to see that. But yeah, that's that—that's a big game. Afghanistan cricket is big in Afghanistan. It's 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 the second biggest sport in the world after football. People don't realise that cricket uh, in the subcontinent. It is the biggest. So the Indian cricketers, especially the Pakistani cricketers they're aligned to gods over there. They are so famous. And even just saying you work on an IPL or an event like that, um, me, you know, somebody, uh, somebody yeah. like me would, would get sort of, you know, asked for autographs and ridiculous things like that, which I find quite amusing. But um, because because there's so many fans, even in the UAE, there's, there's a lot of,
0: of subcontinent people working who yeah. adore cricket. Yeah. A lot of the migrant workers will be from right. South Asia. Um, There was a film at least 15 years ago that told about how Afghanistan got to the World Cup.
1: That's right, yes. And beat Scotland, famously. That was it. I did that match. Dunedin in New Zealand, 2015, T20 World Cup. I did that match, yeah. And it was the best match of the whole World Cup. And it was a little ground in Dunedin. It was the university cricket ground in Dunedin. It wasn't even the main ground. And um, there was only, you know, it was probably 1,000 people there. But it was a guy called Zadran, this huge, great, scary-looking fast bowler. He got a one off the line. He was the last man in. He got a single. He won the match, and he just sprinted off the field in such a direction that none of my cameras... It, it, it could have been... It's the worst place to run, because, you know, he could have... I had about 30 cameras, but he ran in this direction. and no, I only had his back, and I want to show his face. So he managed to elude me, but then, then he just kept running around in circles. So we, we caught up with him eventually. That's that one, was a great
0: game. You know he wouldn't have liked that? The epileptic sufferers. There you go. always wasps for them. Yeah, the human wasp. You do a lot of work media training. So um, Marcus Rashford, brilliant. Not a great media, um, someone that you can interview because his tone is a bit flat. When you tell people uh, how to engage with the media, do you tell them to modify? Do you tell them to think about how you speak? I have a bugbear about that, but uh, I'll let you answer the question first.
1: A large part of the training I do is exactly about that. How to pause mid-sentence, which creates suspense. How to stretch a word out like an accordion and don't say magnificent shot. Say magnificent shot. Pull a word apart. Slow down. Speed up in the same sentence for impact. All these little tricks like that. I mean, I've trained some people with pretty, I won't say dull voices, but with difficult voices like Graham Hick, Graham Gooch, Alex Stewart, people like that. And... You know, it's difficult to change a voice, but just by slowing down, just by breathing, just by finishing a sentence, um, intonation, you can actually do quite a lot with your voice. You know, you've got 50 muscles in your face. Most of us don't use, if if you're going out to bat or or if you're going to take a penalty, you might practice first or if you're going out to bat, you might have a few throw downs first. If you're going to pick up a microphone and commentate, people don't do anything. And actually, there are some good exercises for yawning, for opening your throat, for um, engaging, and the same thing for for public speaking. How do you walk on the stage? Most people come up the side, shuffle, to the, they're dead already. Come around the back through the curtains, palms down, greet the audience, come out with a quick, um, quick joke. That's secrets like that, you know. I impart, so it's not just sports media people that can benefit it's anybody who does a presentation it's a student it could be any anybody uh, who does any sort of public speaking or presentations could benefit
0: my problem certainly in football I don't know if you get it in cricket but people seem to have been taught to restate the question using the phrase what you are talking about is so if a, a guy goes um yeah Mo Salah great goal what do you think of him and the Footballer goes, well, you're talking about Mo Salah here. We know
1: That's because the guy doing the interview, his voice is probably not going to be used. So he'll say to Mo Salah, Mo, just reiterate my uh, question and your answer. That's why that is. Because, Chris. you know, somebody, you'll go off, you'll go off with a TV crew and, and you go and do an interview. Your voice might not be used. It probably won't be. And they just want a soundbite and they haven't got time. You know, a soundbite is 15 seconds on the news. Even the, Boris Johnson only gets 10 to 15 second soundbites. Yeah. So that's why they do that. They, that's one of the reasons that they, they snip it. Um, and that's something I train commentators to, to be quick, get in and get out and not talk for 30 seconds, talk for 10 seconds. In that 10 seconds, make a point, back it up and then throw it ahead. What's predicted? What's next? What could happen? What might happen? What should happen?
0: Mm, you know? No, I I treat it like silver service. Serve the plate which is the question, get out the way so they can answer. Don't talk over the paragraph. I think some people are unmedia trainable. Megan Rapino, for instance. Imagine training yes. her.
1: Yeah, that would be difficult. So questions, not statements. You know, you want to ask a question. You, you ask a question that has three words in it. How, why, or what are the ones you don't bother? Because they're just going to agree with you. Yeah. So things like that, you know, there are little tips that, you know, are difficult. I train the LMA, so I'm the League Managers Association's media trainer with my... Um, colleague, James Pearce. We both went to Exeter together and Mm -hmm. we started... uh, We were the FA's media trainer, but when I train the football managers, we say to them, you know, an interview is is a great opportunity to get your message out, so treat it as that. Don't look down on it as someone's going to stitch me up because, you know, they're very fearful and they don't say anything because the media manager will tell them what to say and the same with young England footballers. A lot of them don't say anything when actually, you know... if he said anything half interesting, it would be really newsworthy and actually promote you. And that's where Rashford's learning at the moment. He's, he, he's got such great self-promotion, but yeah, he needs, his message should be clearer.
0: Well, he's got to speak to Jay-Z. Jay-Z is one of the greatest public speakers of the generation. And they, they right, works yeah. as a rock nation at the moment.
1: 70% of all communication is non-verbal. Yeah. So it's not so much what you say, it's how you say it. So what your body language is, how you look, when you look at the camera. So, People don't understand that, and that's something that we, we train in the broadcasting courses that I do.
0: I would love to go on one of them just as an interested party. Uh, if you're training Claudio Ranieri, um, <laughs> who is, and this is this is topical because as we speak, he's the manager. Didn't do so well at Fulham. Did magnificently at Leicester. You are. I am a journalist saying so. Claudio, how long do you think you're going to last? How is Claudio going to get his message across? Well.
1: When you get a difficult question like that, the key thing is to acknowledge it, but then don't have to fully answer it. Don't do what the politicians do and dismiss it and talk about your holiday or something else. So you'll say, well, yeah, that's something every football manager will get asked when they start work, you know, how long are you going to last? And, you know, all I'll say is, you know, I've got a lot of experience and whatever, you know. So acknowledge the question and don't necessarily have to answer it. Uh, And don't get trapped into using the words... That they use, because exactly. they might throw a word in like, oh, that was a disaster, wasn't it? And as soon as you say the word disaster, they've got their byline. You have to avoid those banana skins.
0: I would ask Claudio Ranieri, you won a Premier League with Robert Hooth. When you look at Watford's defence, is there anyone who comes even halfway close to the defensive capabilities of Robert Hooth? Obviously, he's not going no. to throw William Trostekong, an international player, under the bus. That's a bad question though, because that's a yes/no question. So he could just say no. If you said, "Is there anyone who can?" and and if so, who do you think it would be, and why? Yeah, yeah, I doubt that. Yeah, yeah.
1: Yeah. But yeah, fair point. I understand. I don't know enough about Watson's defence to to really answer
0: that question. We, we, let lots, we should have lost a lot more heavily than 1-0 against Leeds. We got very lucky. We've beaten Villa and Norwich and we need 10 more wins and hopefully we'll get some dilly-ding, dilly-dong. When you were reading all the headlines about Emma Raducanu, she won a tournament, she's very young, she's very pretty, she gets to wear lovely dresses. The brilliant point was made by, I think it was, um, if not Syed, than Dicko in the Times. Watch for the curse of Rory McIlroy. How can Emma be more Murray than McElroy? Well, Murray,
1: Murray became big when he started crying, didn't he? Yes. Uh, and people actually he had empathy. That was the best thing he ever did. I remember going to um, Murray's uh, agents and saying, the guy needs serious media training when he started. I'll do it. I'll, I'll get him better. And they said, oh, no, don't be silly. He doesn't need media training. Emma Raducanu is very young, and look, she's an amazing story that, and the girl from Bromley, my own town, too. Yes. She just needs to be careful now that she, she's not mismanaged. And yeah, it, it, when you're getting hundreds of millions of pounds of, you know, she's got a Tiffany promotion, and good on her for that. She deserved it, but she needs to be managed properly, and she needs to address, the, she needs to embrace the media. But, but there will be people always trying to put you down. And My father once wrote a book called England Managers, um, and it was all about. And he is about the last 11 England football managers. And the one thing they had in common, the one thing they had in common, every single one of them was brought down by the media. Yeah. Right? And now you look at Gareth, Gareth, Gareth Southgate. Gareth Southgate, I, I, we media train from the um, under f- 14s with England, under 15s, all the way through to the first team. We media train them. And Gareth got a hold of me and James when we first started training about a few years ago, and he was the under 19 coach. And he said, I I've got this idea. I want each
0: player to have their own zone, and I want to invite the press to talk. And we were like, "Excellent!" That was idea. his idea. Brilliant.
1: Embrace the media. Yeah, that was his idea, and that's why he's lasted so long because he's, you know, he doesn't court criticism, but he 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 accepts it, he takes it on the chin, and that approach to the media is brilliant. And that's why you know, and, and one day his time will come, the axe will fall. It always does. But he's been more successful than the others for that reason. You think about what happened to Glenn Hoddle, you think about there's
0: lots of things that went wrong. But generally, it's the media that gets to you, gets to them in the end. Well, Venables said, I'm leaving after year 96, I'm gone. And that was very smart of him to do because he's he's worked in Spain where they eat journalists for breakfast and then spit them out for lunch. Yeah. Um, who are your favourite journalists? Who do you like reading?
1: Well, Matthew Syed's an old friend. When I was head of production at Eurosport, he was one of my commentators. Um, he's an old mate of mine, and I really enjoy his books as well. I think they're, they're, they're great reads. I read The Guardian, for my sins, online. Um, newspapers, unlike my cousin Thomas, who buys still buys a dozen newspapers a week, and my father that buys 11 newspapers on a Sunday. Um, I tend to sort of read on my phone. <sighs> cricket writers, there's some really good cricket writers out there. Nick Holt's very good. Yeah. Uh, I like John Etheridge; he's an old friend of mine. And Michael Atherton is a, is a good read. I mean, he, you know, really, really well-written stuff. Uh, and I used to like Derek Pringle. So yeah, there's a few. There's a few people. Mike Selvey is a good, very good writer.
0: Yeah, I've got Frank Keating's book, his um, collected works, to read. Um, and Glanville is is the guy whose uh, journalism I've read the most this year because I put together Glanville at ninety. I should really do Scov. My interview with your dad is Scovella eighty-five, and yes, so many names dropped that they create a hole in the floor. Um, but you could you could drop your own names um, after the cricket. What does your next couple of years look like?
1: After that, I'm doing uh, the Ashes. So I'm doing it for, for BT Sport from England. We've got uh, some really good, uh, exciting, big names to unveil shortly about who's going to be doing that, through the night, that is. so
0: Yes, to get
1: yeah. For the Ashes. In January, I go to the West Indies for the Under-19 World Cup. Um, and then I come back home for a month and I'm off to New Zealand. Hopefully, there's not another two-week quarantine there. But I, I did that last year for wow, two weeks, and that was brutal. brutal. Um, new Zealand's got the Women's World Cup cricket. I'm doing that in New Zealand. Um, and then after that, I've got quite a lot of uh, bits and pieces, a lot of my media training. And then next year, we've got a couple of World Cups. And it, it just all sort of comes around again, really. So, um, But I've got into tennis recently, and I've really enjoyed it. So hopefully I'll be directing a bit more rugby and a bit more tennis, two sports that are quite new to me that I really love.
0: Yeah, well, tennis is... Um, they have finite points. It's point by point, much like cricket. Whereas rugby is a lot like football. So that keeps the sides of your brain happy.
1: You know something, just to pick you up on that, it's very, football is the same as rugby and tennis. Because the ball goes out of play, it's out of play. Cricket is a 360 degree sport. The ball could go anywhere. The guy could, or the lady could swing the bat left and the ball goes right. Now you're only as good as your, Cameraman, then, because you rely on them to follow it. So it's a, actually quite a bit harder sport to direct than other sports, I'd say cricket, for that very reason. That it isn't, it's a 306. And even when someone hits it out of the stadium, you're still expected to see where it's gone.
0: So they have to follow it. Yeah, it's like the golf. golf. And golf, yeah, mm. golf. golf.
1: You know that 90% of the shots on a par three are going to be anywhere near the green, um, unless you're playing golf with me. But Cricket, yeah, cricket. It could go anywhere. So, and it's generally a big swing of the bat. So, it's it's a tougher sport Ooh. in that respect. I
0: the Ashes will start. Is it end of November? They've just announced the squads, haven't they? Well,
1: the first test is yeah in Brisbane. I think it's the the first week of December. So it's about the fourth to the eighth of December. But yes. um, yeah, we, we're finally sending a squad, a decent squad as well, which is a relief. But like we're gonna we're gonna miss a few of our better players who are injured, like. Well, Ben Stokes is not going, Jofra Archer is not going. It'll be it'll be an uphill task, but I'm confident we can do it. Come on, boys!
0: Come on, yes, come on, leader. Well, we won't make them grovel, uh, but I'm sure Lyri Constantine will get a mention on the coverage throughout. Even though it's it'll probably be all about the Don and Beefy, and all the 80 40 years since 81, so that will probably yes. be the story.
1: You can find me on, um, on Twitter at Major Scov. M a j o s s c o v
0: and uh, just uh, to, who, what am I going to give? Uh, Mark Pugach, the great Mark Pugach. Why did they kick him out of Five Live? Heaven only knows. The brightness presenting oh. course is absolutely invaluable when it comes to all aspects of television presentation.
1: Pugach was the first person I ever trained, you believe that, years ago. Um, he basically said to me, Gav, I can't crack TV. I'm, really, you know, I'm big on radio. What's going on? And I said to him, he's such a great guy. I said to him, what do you think? And he said, well, I think I probably talk too much. And I said, well, there you go. (laughs) That was easy.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I think he's on telly tomorrow because England play Hungary at Wembley. I think he still fronts the ITV cover. I'm so pleased for that man. He's the loveliest
1: guy. And you know what? He might not be the the big ex-footballer, but he's a broadcaster and people need the broadcaster. You you need a Claire Balding. You need a Mark Pugatch at the helm. It doesn't have to be all famous sportsmen like the and that. You do well, but they're not, you know, to hold it together at the helm, you need a broadcaster. And that's exactly what he is. And him and I, actually, early this year, during lockdown when it first started, we teamed up and we trained together. So, him in front of the camera as a presenter, me behind the camera as a director. And we, we trained a lot of athletes in a lot of different sports about the media and about how to, to be commentators and presenters.
0: There's a book in that.
1: Well, one day,
0: hopefully. You got yes. three, you're got. you not doing anything for three days. If you go to New Zealand, two weeks, I bet you can write a book in two weeks. If you can direct a 60-camera live show with a billion people watching, Gavin Scovell. you can write a book. Uh, and when you do, it will be in the football library. And it's delightful to complete the hat-trick, father, cousin, man.
1: It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Just
0: like the library, Just like the library, Just like the library, Just like Shh!